Welcome back to another episode of Top Dog, which is another episode where I am going to spend a good 20 minutes walking you through my thoughts and my feelings and my takeaways from another week that was in the world of UConn basketball. And look, this was probably not the easiest week that any of us have uh, have gone through. UConn played two games in a span of 36 hours and three games in the span of six days with a Super Bowl loss thrown in the mix, which you know, by the way, I, I can't be the only one that thoroughly enjoys the idea of uh, of Dan Hurley handling bagels games the same way that we handle watching UConn games. I'm just picturing him logging into a burner Twitter account to rage tweet at uh, at Bengals beat writers about their issues with the offensive line or tweeting at John Fanta about the Browns being the luckiest team in the NFL while trolling Steelers fans on some Reddit thread. I'm just waiting for him to forget to switch accounts to his burner and respond to Adam Schefter ranting about how Zach Taylor won't establish a run offensively. It just, uh, it's nice to see him be just as psychotic as we are when it comes to uh, some of these games and the teams that he loves. But anyway, uh, UConn is now staring down the barrel of the most critical stretch of their season. They get three home games against Seton Hall, Xavier, and Villanova in the span of six days. And these are the three games where UConn is going to determine what their NCAA tournament seeding is going to be this year. This is where they position themselves to be able to make a run in the Big East tournament, to be able to make a run in the NCAA tournament, to be able to get the kind of favorable bracket draw that would allow them to do something like get to the second weekend. If they win all three of these games, you're looking at potentially getting maybe all the way up to like a four seed in some of these bracket projections, but bracket projections, depending on what happens down the stretch of the season, what happens in the Big East tournament. If you lose all three of these games, well, then you're 17-10 overall. You're 8-8 eight and eight in the Big East. You have three winnable games on the stretch, uh, but you're probably looking at, what, like an 8-9 game, maybe getting a 7 seed at best. That's a pretty big swing. Think about it. That's the difference between playing uh, a top-two seed in the second game of the tournament or playing a top two seed in the second weekend of the tournament. Now, that's not necessarily going to change how good UConn is, but I do think that it will significantly impact their chances of being able to make a run and their chances of being able to entertain us for a long time during the NCAA tournament. At the end of the day, that is what we want, right? We want those runs. We want that three-day period after the first weekend before the start of the Sweet 16 to be able to celebrate. Hey, look, this is what we did. Look how good we are. We are so awesome. UConn is back. But listen, while we're on the topic of how good UConn is and how good they are and how good they should have been expected to be this season, uh, I do want to put a little bit of this into context because I think that it's important to talk about it in this way instead of strictly looking at wins and losses and all this kind of stuff. So here is where UConn ranks according to the polls and to the metrics that matter to me and that matter to the selection committee and to matter that people uh, and that matter to people that cover the sport and that watch the sport and that consume the sport. Right now, UConn is 24th in the AP poll. They are 17th in BPI. They are 17th in Sagarin. They are 18th in the net. They are 19th on Kempom and 19th on Massey. Torvik has them at 26th right now. Haslam has them at 24th. They are currently a number six seed on bracket matrix. So that means through all of the hand-wringing and pearl clutching that we've gone through over the course of the last three months of watching this team play, the UConn Huskies are sitting here on February 15th with a 17-7 and record 
an eight and five mark in the biggies and a resume that has them as one of the top 20 or 25 teams in all of college basketball. There are 358 teams in the sport and UConn is definitively one of the 20 or 25 best. Now I'm probably not alone in hoping that UConn would have been better than that this season, right? I want to see them competing for national titles again, just like you do. I want to see them being in the final four every year. I want to see them in the top five. I want to see them competing for uh, Big East titles. I want to see them back in this conference and owning this conference the way that they did before we left this conference. But I'm also reasonable enough to understand that this is more or less what any rational person could have expected this group to be this season. I mean, shit. Look at how many players are, how many NBA players are currently on this roster. All right, let's go through it. I think that Tyrese is going to get a shot next season. Uh, he's probably at best a second round pick. Maybe he's not going to get drafted. Maybe he'll end up being a two way guy. But I think when you have someone that is his size, his athleticism, and shooting 45% from three, he's going to get a shot in the NBA. I think Jordan Hawkins is a potential first-round NBA draft pick whenever he decides to go to the NBA draft. Hopefully, that'll be two or three years because I think he needs a little bit of time uh, to be seasoned more. But he's probably the guy with the most, air quotes, talent and upside on this year's roster. Um, I'm not sure if Adama is an NBA player. Uh, I don't think that he will be unless he improves his jump shooting and his passing ability. He's terrific at what he does, and he plays a very important role for this team. Uh, but if you're not making threes and spacing the floor and you're not switchable offensively and you're not able to make those reads out of short rolls and be able to pass the ball as a big guy, you're not going to make it in the NBA as a low post threat that is six foot nine. You're just not going to do it. And look, I love, love RJ Cole. The kid has so much heart, but you have to be an absolute God to make it to the NBA as a point guard that is six feet tall. That, that's just it, it, that's what it is. I love RJ but it is what it is. Um, Andre Jackson, he might be an Olympian as a high jumper, uh, but he has some things that he really needs to improve on if he's going to end up playing in the NBA. Um, and I don't know who else on this roster you would even consider if you're an NBA team at this point. And all that said, it kind of makes me wonder, like, why are we so stressed out about what this team is this year, right? Look, I get it. I I'm, I'm probably one of the people here that is to blame. And there are certainly some things that this team has done uh, and, and that, that, this, that this group does offensively. It kind of sends me tilting off the face of the planet when they happen during games. And we're going we're gonna to get into that. But, like, but let's take a 35,000-foot view of this thing, right? In a season where Tyrese Martin and Adama Sinogo and Akuka Cook have all missed extended periods of time through injury, UConn is currently sitting in third place in the Big East with a favorable schedule down the stretch, all things considered, for their last six games that are, are at home. Uh, their two road games are um, at the very least winnable games that they should be able to get. They are in a position right now to be able to make a run if they play their best basketball of the season down the stretch. And I'm honestly like, I'm not sure what more we really could have been asking for here. Maybe it's the way that UConn lost some of these games that, that has people bother, right? Or maybe it's the fact that seeing someone like Providence have the success that they are having with the team that has less talent and looks significantly worse, according to the mathematicians, that has turned what is normally an irrational fan base into absolute psychos. I don't know. I'm there with you, but I don't know what it is. I will say this, though. The only real bad loss on UConn's resume right now is that home loss to, to, to Creighton. 
Creighton is currently tied with UConn in third place in the Big East standings. And the reason that was a bad loss had a lot more to do with uh, the effort that we saw, I think, than the actual outcome itself. Losing to Creighton is what it is, right? This is the Big East. Everything else is more or less a game and more or less a loss. It is the cost of doing business in the conference that we're in right now. They got smacked at Villanova. A lot of people are going to get smacked at Villanova. Villanova is Villanova for a reason, right? They lost winnable games at Xavier and at Seton Hall and at West Virginia. The Seton Hall one was in overtime, right? I get it. The one at Xavier um, was a must-win game for Xavier. I get it. The one at West Virginia came without Adama Sanogo and Tyrese Martin. It is what it is. They got robbed by the refs against Michigan State in the Bahamas. And while the Providence game was a tough watch, where Ed Cooley threw a curveball that I don't think UConn was expecting. Uh, they came all the way back. They had a shot to take the lead in the final minutes of the game. Like you gotta, at some point you kind of have to say, "Oh, look, we got we got out coached and outplayed in that game, and we still had a chance to win it down the stretch against the team that's running away with the Big East regular season title right now." Right? It's frustrating to me too. I get it. The, UConn is so close to having an unbelievable season. And continually losing some of those close games is certainly a downer, but there was never a point this year where UConn was the favorite to win the conference, right? This season was always going to end up being about putting ourselves in a position to do what we could do during the year to allow the program to have a shot to make some noise in March, right? Whether, whether we expected to uh, lose the league title to Providence instead of losing it to Villanova is something that I think would be a little bit debatable, but what, what, what we really wanted out of this season was to be in a position to get some of that March magic going again. And I know that I'm going to be beating a dead horse here, but they're really not all that far away from being a team that's good enough to make a run. So here's, here's the single biggest thing that I think UConn fans need to understand here. The Huskies are never going to look like a well-oiled machine on the offensive end of the floor. They, they run a ton of sets, right? They run a ton of different offenses because they need to run a ton of different offenses because they don't have all that many guys that can create something for themselves out of nothing in a half-court setting, right? It's, it's, basically, it's basically RJ that can do it, and I'm not sure there's anyone else that is all that great at it, right? Like Jordan Hawkins and Tyler Polly are incredible threats offensively because of the way that they can shoot, but they need those shots scheme for them. Adama is really inefficient, when the ball is thrown to him 10 feet from the rim with a guy on his back, right? And he has to dribble people down and back them down. Uh, he's at his best when he doesn't have to dribble. He is exceptional when you can scheme something where you can get him on a duck in and you, or you can get him sealing a defender, or you can do what Hurley loves to do and get the defense moving and then find a high low opportunity where Isaiah Whaley or Tyrese Martin can throw the ball into um, Adama on the block. And all he has to do is seal catch and go up and lay it in or go up and dunk it. He's great at that. And Dan Hurley, you know, as, as much as people want to criticize him for not being a good X's and O coach, not being a good battle, whatever, he's really good at finding opportunity to be able to get Adama into those situations. You got to get him credit for that. You got to make sure he can be a guy that can catch and score. You don't want to make him be a Olajuwon. He's not ready for that yet. He might be next year. Who knows? Like the, the growth path that this kid is on is, I, I don't want to put anything, I, I don't want to say he can't do anything. But right now, that's not what you want him to do. That's not the way to be your best. That's not the way to be your most efficient. Um, and this just this is what they are right now. And it's going to lead to some half-court possessions that are not pretty, that are frustrating to watch, that are going to drive UConn fans on Twitter mad. 
We know this. We have known this. You need to accept it if you are a UConn fan at this point. This is what the team is. Um, and I actually thought, like, the, the two games this week are perfect examples for where UConn can make up for some of those half-court uh, inefficiencies, right? Um, and some of the places where they've actually struggled and, and, and can really make a change of what their ceiling is. So in the Xavier loss, to me, it was the transition game. Like, UConn raced so many chances where they were able to get out and run the floor with a number advantage. They had three on ones that led to air mail layups that, that air balled layups. Um, they had four and two, four on twos that ended up leading into players that were running into each other and turning the ball over, right? They didn't have space and they weren't running their lanes. They weren't able to efficiently execute um, in transition. Uh, Hurley in between rants about the officials after the Xavier game, he actually spoke about this a little bit and he commented on it and he, he was right. And look, I understand why he was frustrated um, with the refs. Like it, it just, it is what it is, is Big East officiating. Sometimes you're going to get a good whistle. Sometimes you're not. I, I don't really want to go into, go into that, but I will say this, his point about not being able to finish in transition, that right there is what we all should have taken away from that outburst and from some of his post-game comments because that right there is where you can actually make a difference with this group moving forward be better in transition be better on three-on-ones finish those chances finish those easy layups uh, against st john's the issue to me was uh, kind of finishing at the rim right they probably missed what felt like 25 layups i don't know how many it was but they shot just 36.6 percent from two-point range against the Johnnies. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly how many of those layups they missed, how many were blocked, whatever, but it felt like at least double digit shots at the rim that did not go in. Uh, Adama Sonogo himself was blocked um, on two would have been dunks uh, at least twice. Um, there was uh, one possession in the second half where uh, Andre Jackson was wide open under the basket. Uh, all he had to do was turn around and dunk the ball. Anybody gotten two points. And instead, he kicked the ball out to RJ for a three in the corner that he actually missed. Um, on the season, UConn is shooting uh, just 47% from two. So this has been a constant thing for them. That 47% from two is 251st in the country. And, and frankly, that is not going to be good enough for a team that is built around the idea that they have a great postman and they win on physicality and they win on getting to the offensive glass and they win on finishing baskets around the rim you got to be better than 47% at the basket. Now, look, I've talked ad nauseum about this, and I don't really want to dive all the way into it again, but this is a UConn team that is going to have to win with effort and win with enthusiasm and win by playing their balls off and win by being the more aggressive and the more physical and the more athletically gifted team and taking advantage of all of those things that they do. That's what it is. That's what the team is that Dan Hurley has built. And we should embrace that. We should thrive on that because there are ways that we can win basketball games doing it that way. But what that means is that when you get a chance to have an easy basket, you got to take advantage of it because it's going to hurt UConn more than it would hurt a normal team. Like if Villanova misses a layup, whatever, they are so efficient offensively and they shoot so well from three and they're so good at creating uh, what they want out of their half-court offense that, that they're going to get other shots again. UConn, when they miss a layup in transition or when they miss an offensive rebound put back or when uh, they're able to scheme a backdoor where they get a layup and they miss it, um, it's more impactful because they're not as good at getting those shots as somebody like a Villanova is. I, I, I hope that makes sense. It's making sense in my head when I say it, but that, that's, that's really what it is. They have to be able to – what that means is that they, when they have a chance to get an easy basket, 
I mean, they just, they have to be better at taking advantage of it. When they get layups in half court or three on ones in transition, they have to be able to capitalize on those opportunities. They need to be able to rely on finishing those easy looks when they get them, because when they are forced to run their stuff to get those looks, it can be a struggle. We have seen that. And that leads me, that leads me to, I think, a bigger issue with this group overall that you kind of had this year. And that's that they cannot, they, they really struggled at stretching out leads, right? They, they don't turn a four-point lead into a 10-point lead. They don't get the separation. They don't turn a 6-0 spurt into a 16-3 run. Um, when they're going through these long stretches where they're getting stops, they're not, uh, they're not waking up to 15-point leads against good teams, right? That's, that's what Villanova does so well. When they need to find a way to get some separation, they get that separation, right? I think that right there is a the difference to me between UConn and Villanova, um, and, and even Providence to a point, but I'll get to Providence in a second. Like Villanova, they can take a game by the balls and wrestle control of it away. We saw them do it uh, at home against Xavier earlier this season. I, I swear, every time I'm watching a Villanova game and someone shoots a shot that makes me say, oh, wow, that's a big shot if that goes in, they make that shot, right? It feels like they make all of their momentum changes. It feels like every time they have a chance to be able to get a little bit of separation, they're able to to do it and it doesn't feel like UConn has been able to to do that as well right I think that's one of the next steps and for UConn it feels like every time they have a chance to be able to stretch a lead a little bit or they're able to kind of get a turnover and get transition or they're able to get a like they're missing a layup or they're throwing the ball to the stands or they're not converting on a two-on-one or a three-on-two or something like that and uh, that those hurt those add up over time and they don't allow you to establish momentum and they don't allow you to get separation now for being honest Providence has had some of those same issues as UConn, but where they have thrived is in late game scenarios. Uh, I don't know if it's their age or if it's their execution or if it's the fact that Nate Watson is a bully or if it's just Ed Cooley being a phenomenal basketball coach, but the Friars are the definitive best team in college basketball when it comes to finding a way to get it done in late games and finding a way to execute on late games possessions. I, I, I don't have a stat in front of me to be able to back this up, but I really don't think I need one. If you look at their record and the fact that they are still 47th in Kempom, despite being 21 and two and 12 and one in this year's big East, that's that tells you everything you need to know about the way that they're able to win games in the clutch. Uh, they thrive in the moments when you need to win games. Uh, Villanova thrives in the moments when you just stretch out leads to have a chance. Um, and, and, and UConn, they, they don't do either of those things really all that well right now. And so for as good as they are this season, to me, that is where you can see them take a step forward and they're going to turn some of these close losses uh, into close wins. And look, they still have time to turn this around. Um, and even if they don't, right, we still have this next week to do what we need to do to be able to set, set ourselves up for a run in March. Uh, you know, I said after, after the Villanova loss, um, two weekends ago that UConn needed to go three and three at minimum over the course of their next six games. They've started out that run two and one. If they go two and one over these next three games, if they beat say Xavier and Seton hall at home and then lose to Villanova at home, they're still going to be in a really, really good spot moving forward. If they go three and oh, over these next three games, like that's an absolute game changer and they can absolutely go three and oh, over the course of the next three games. And, and, and look, even if they don't, let's say that they lose all three. Yeah, it's going to be a bomb. Um, but this is still a team that has the pieces to be able to be a threat in March. So, look, let's all take a deep breath here. Let's all accept the fact 
that Providence is probably going to end up winning this conference. And let's show up at Gamble on Wednesday and let's show up at Gamble on Saturday and let's make it be known that you don't walk into our building and beat us. We got this. Go Huskies.